Welcome everyone to the She Can Fix It podcast. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. This month, I'm joined by Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley, as well as Dr. Jennifer Weiss, to discuss the important movement called Speak Up Ortho. Speak Up Ortho is a movement geared toward raising awareness to end workplace harassment, discrimination, and abuse. It is honestly quite heart-wrenching to listen to these stories. And it is so sad to think that these stories have happened both in the past as well as today. My hope is that this movement will allow us to understand what needs to be changed and to foster an environment that allows any individual to excel in the field of orthopedic surgery. I was truly honored to be invited to join in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast. I want to take a moment to talk about a great company that I recently discovered. I know we are all now in search of a new scrub provider given recent events. I want to share with you a company called Just Cause Scrubs that was created by an orthopedic oncologist by the name of Dr. Scott Porter. Just Cause Scrubs is an amazing scrub and medical-related apparel company with a humanitarian focus. Just Cause Scrubs donates 50% of all of their profits to the charity of the customer's choice. What's also amazing is that they're offering 10% off for the listeners of the She Can Fix It podcast. Visit www.justcausescrubs.com slash shecanfixit to get 10% off your order. With the holiday season coming up, a nice pair of embroidered scrubs is looking like the perfect gift. Again, the website is www.justcausescrubs.com slash shecanfixit to get 10% off your order and support a just cause. Well, this is a really amazing opportunity for us three to get together. We're all orthopedic surgeons. We all happen to be women. And I would love to have each of us introduce ourselves. So Alana, why don't you start? Of course. My name is Dr. Alana Munger. I'm a third year resident um, at Yale New Haven Hospital. Um, I am the creator and host and producer and co-editor of the She Can Fix It podcast, which is a podcast that was meant to um, inspire and empower the women of orthopedic surgery. So that is who I am. I'm Jennifer Weiss. I am a pediatric orthopedist. I work in Los Angeles and um, I have a podcast with my sister, another Dr. Weiss, Dr. Leah Weiss. And our podcast is called Grand Rounds. Uh, We just finished season one, which was uh, Purpose in a Pandemic. And season two is coming um, and it will be about disruption. And I am so excited to share a conversation with the two of you who are quite inspirational to so many. 
And I'm Nancy Yen Shipley. I'm an orthopedic surgeon as well. And I practice in Portland, Oregon. My specialty is arthroscopy and sports medicine. I am the creator and host of the 6% podcast with Nancy MD. And I talk to women in male dominated fields, including orthopedic surgery, but really across all different industries as well. And so we are really lucky to all three be together. We're kind of doing this triple threat podcast get together. <laughs> and um, we have a lot of things to talk about. I think we, we have um, just unique and different perspectives on our common path and lots of uh, different topics that we can delve into. I think we should start maybe with different barriers that each of us may have faced going into orthopedics. Who wants to start? I'm happy to start. Um, I have uh, shared a story pretty widely um, about uh, one of the first conversations that I had with one of my attendings in residency in which he shared with me that there's two kinds of women in orthopedics, the kind that shouldn't be orthopedists and the kind that shouldn't be women. Um, talk about a wall right at the beginning. Alana? <laughs> I, you know, what's really funny is I was actually thinking about this and it's, you know, I, you know, I was an athlete in college. I, I'm six feet tall. I have shoulders that linebackers would be proud of. And so I am an athlete and I certainly fit the mold for that stereotype of women who go into ortho. And so I think it's funny, like those barriers were more kind of how one does it rather than like, do you actually fit? You know, I think that, you know, when medical students are contemplating about orthopedic surgery, you know, it, it's sometimes there's either the one, would I even be able to get into the field? And then there's the second question of, would I be able to thrive in this field? And so I never really thought like, oh, I wouldn't fit in or whatever. Like I was, you know, just as strong as the guys and all those sorts of things. But I think that it was kind of, would I be able to thrive? in the field and would I be able to find, you know, my squad and my group of people who I would be happy working with. So that was kind of more the questions that I had when I was going through my journey. I will add for the listeners that while while we're recording here um, on Zoom, obviously they're all listening to audio, but I couldn't tell that you were six feet tall because we're yeah. all sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, I think one of my barriers, um, you know, probably was just all of the words and all of the comments that people posed to me as I informed them I was going into orthopedics. Now, I would say that, you know, it was almost despite that I did fine, obviously, and I got into orthopedics and, and felt like I had thrived, but, um, you know, I could see how it could deter somebody from entering the field if someone's early in their decision-making process, or maybe they haven't entered medical school yet, but all they've ever wanted to do was orthopedics. And to have the repetitive commentary 
of why women shouldn't be in orthopedics or couldn't, um, I could see how that would wear somebody down. I think for me, the more somebody told me no, I would say, well, I'm going to prove you wrong, which means probably as a child, I was pretty hard to deal with because I didn't want to take no for an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, Jen? (laughs) Um, I learned a term recently called weathering. And um, I will have to dig the name up of the very amazing, um, brilliant woman who explained this to me. And um, what she taught me was that um, there's a phenomenon that's known in the black community, which is, um, and I hope I will do this justice, but as you grow up through the generations of being treated in a certain way, that it doesn't just build up in your psyche, but perhaps even in your DNA. Um, And so that term was such an eye-opener to me um, and maybe a microcosm of that phenomenon that I think I certainly have experienced as a woman in orthopedics because at the beginning I was, and most days I'm still in the I'm also almost six feet tall, like not me, I'm good. It's a problem for the other people. And as the weeks, months, years, and now decades have gone on and I see others treated in a certain way and we'll get to our experience with Speak Up Ortho, it's, uh, it's really impacting me over and over now. I'm glad you bring that up because I, you know, obviously we got together to talk about our respective experiences, but I definitely want to bring light to the fairly recent development of this initiative called Speak Up Ortho. And so, you know, Jen, I'll let you, I'll let you speak to that to start and we will chime in. Great. As usual, I go off script and bring it up when we're not supposed to, but um. (laughs) hey, this is a free flowing conversation as I think a lot of our podcasts are. So, (laughs) Um, so speak up ortho came about, I just wrote a history of us um, as a pitch. Um, So I've got some dates in my mind on March 2nd, there was a post Um, created on a private Facebook page that is Women in Orthopedics. And that page has about 1,500 women on it. And a physician wrote a post um, asking the group to tell uh, the stories or comment with the most sexist thing that had happened to them in interviews, residency, fellowship, or career. And as of yesterday, there were 349 comments on that page. Somewhere around comment 150, there was, I got tagged um, and asked Jennifer Weiss uh, something about what, what, is, what are the leaders going to do about this? And at that point, I was very clear to myself Um, Although I do wear a leadership hat in the Orthopedic Academy, this was not my Academy hat in any way. Um, And I um, gathered a group um, who are all anonymous still. Um, 
to start this campaign called Speak Up Ortho. And the beginnings have happened on social media and uh, we have uh, stories that are submitted anonymously and we take those stories and de-identify in every way that we can um, and share them as posts. Um, the stories are mostly sad and frustrating and bad, but there are some good ones. And um, our goal, um, I believe that our mission is to gather our voices, make sure that people do not feel alone in their experiences, and then move the needle. So advocacy is our uh, is our goal, so um, that we can make things different for the women coming behind us and Dr. Munger's uh, generation. We hope will feel things differently. So that's speak up ortho. So uh, Alana, I'm curious when you first encountered the the initiative, and I know that it, it sort of didn't have any names or faces behind it at first. What was what was your initial thought? It's heart wrenching, you know, just reading these stories and realizing that these are just these are real experiences that are like honestly traumatic. And I I, I honestly, when I first was reading them. I felt so horrible for these people who went through it, you know, and I, I honestly am so sorry that they've had those experiences and it, it really inspired me to keep doing the work that we're doing, you know, such that my generation um, and the generation that's coming up behind me, that our experiences are different, where if, if any of this happens today, I hope that there is processes in place such that, you know, we feel empowered to at least report it, anonymous reporting, something where not only is it something where people agree that it's bad, but those who are responsible, like the repercussions are made, right? Rather than, because some of the stories are basically like this horrific thing happened and the leadership did nothing. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. my hope is that, you know, we are able to change the minds of some folks, you know, both women surgeons as well as the male surgeons, because at the end of the day, you know, we want to increase diversity in our, our field. We can't depend on the 6% of female surgeons in our field to make that big change, you know, and I think a lot of the advocates that I've had in my own career have been my male um, attendings. And I really appreciate everything that they've done for me. And I think that that's kind of, it, it was this heart-wrenching feeling and I felt so horrible and I felt so sorry that people had experienced this. And it really just lit a fire to be like, this, this needs to be like, these stories need to kind of dwindle out. That was mm -hmm. kind of what my thoughts were. And, you know, and obviously this is, this is a, a pseudo anonymous group. It's a collective effort. There are many women who are putting a lot of time into this. I think Jen and I both kind of don't mind so much not being anonymous, but, you know, I want to make sure that it's, it's not just us. Gosh, so many women are putting so, so much hard work into this. And, you know, and I, I really, it really just got me thinking when I first started seeing just the volume of stories that were coming in, in that private thread, um, that, it, you know, I, I feel 
fortunate in that a lot of the things that happened to me were very minor or said to me were very minor. I came out of residency and fellowship training without any, you know, assault or harassment, um, unlike many other women. And so it's almost like I had a little bit of, of a feeling of guilt, um, kind of like survivor's guilt, um, that I somehow got, got through it without having experienced something as, uh, you know, as horrible, um, as some of these women had talked about. And, but it also felt, made me feel compelled to do something more, um, which is why I'm really glad that this collective of strong surgeons had gotten together to talk talk about this. Um, you know, and I think it's important for some of the some of those stories are just so shocking. You know, and it's kind of from from the inside they're shocking, but not shocking, sadly. And in talking to you know, I'm about ten years into practice, and in talking to some of the women who are 25, 30 years into practice, it's sad to hear that, well, things haven't changed that much. It's like they have, but they haven't, you know, we're definitely seeing more women in training and entering the field. And we're seeing, you know, you know, more and more women out there practicing. Um, there are women who are embracing their roles in their respective families while also practicing and, you know, and continuing to have personal interests and kind of showing how dynamic we are. But you know, on one level, we've come a long way, but on, in in other ways, there's still so much, so much progress to be had. Um, and one thing that really got me thinking, even as we were getting this this initiative up and running, is just thinking about what impact these shocking stories would have, but what kind of lasting impact and whether it would spur on change. And Jen and I have talked a lot about the concept of tempered radicalism, which I don't know if the uh, both of you had <laughs> had read uh, originals by Adam Grant, but that was a chapter that to me as a woman in orthopedics, a person of color within orthopedics um, really was impactful because the idea, and I'm not going to do it justice at all. I think everybody should just go read the chapter who's listening, but you know, that it, they talked about, um, the suffragists and two different movements in which one, um, set of suffragists, um, decided to, uh, kind of align themselves with a group that was, um, Oh, remind me, Jen, uh, they were, um, they had a lot of racist origins, right? And so they said, this group is very powerful. Uh, so we're going to align with them. Whereas the other group had said, you know, these women said, um, I think that that kind of departs from our morals and our ethics. And I think that that is not going to be a way to garner widespread support. And so they took a more tempered form of radicalism, right? Because it's still radical, like to in, in many circles to have women orthopedic surgeons. It's just not, we're not the norm yet. Um, and so, you know, I think that it, it speaks to the idea of garnering wider support 
for this movement, for this platform, as opposed to, you know, coming out guns blazing and being like, I'm going to take out whoever's in my way. I think it's just such a different um, approach. And that's something that we've talked to Jen and I have talked a lot about in just thinking about where, who we are and our positions within our field. I think also, um, I, I think I've spoken with both of you about the phases that we enter. And so I had, I'm pushing 50 and I had this recognition in the last couple of years that I had unintentionally, unintentionally graduated from being a pleaser to a driver and that the reception of those two uh, styles coming from a woman are entirely different. Um, and I'm curious, um, a lot of your smack dab in the middle of your training. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, do you find, how are you finding your options to communicate who you are and finding your ground and style, um, within orthopedics? I know how you do it on your podcast. How do you do it on the ground? How do you do it when you're taking care of patients? Um, how are you finding your voice? Right, no, I think it's it's something that I've learned um, in my residency training. And I think this is true, no matter what specialty you're in, it's where the, the strong female and how that is perceived. And, you know, at our hospital, we have these things called RL solutions, which I like to call ruining lives solutions, but it's basically this way for people to report things that have happened in the hospital. And I've gotten an RL solution because of the fact that I was doing long leg splints in the ICU and I got plaster on the wall and I didn't clean it up. Whereas my male colleagues can literally rip through an ED resident or do something like that and they never get an RL solution. And so it's this double standard of what I'm allowed to say and how I'm allowed to respond to someone. And it, those are the things that I've kind of learned. And so I think right now, I, it, it's kind of this like you're walking on eggshells with, you know, you get that consult where the, like I got, I remember this one time the, I got a PA in the ED called me about a patient that he had not even seen yet. No images, like literally had not even seen the patient. And I, it, it took every fiber of my body to just be like, uh, you know what, I'm just going to go see it. I'm, I'm just going to go see it for you. You know, rather than having that like discussion of it is inappropriate to call the specialist on call when you have not yet examined your patient and you have not yet attempted to perform a workup to figure out what might be wrong with the patient, you know? So that's kind of what I've learned at least in my training thus far. I'm gonna pile onto that because five years ago, so I was pushing 45, I got in trouble literally for teaching because I got us, I had a similar situation. I did not hold back. I was polite, but I shared with the resident who was consulting me um, that it was excellent etiquette to um, examine the patient and to get x-rays if you're consulting about a fracture. 
Um, so I wish I could tell you that that gets better with prayers. <laughs> And, you know, and you, you bring up some excellent points about just sort of the, the image of the strong woman and kind of how that interplay occurs with within our field and many other fields. And, you know, I um, think a lot about how societally, a lot of times the words that are used to describe strength and the words that are used to describe weakness or something negative um, tend to be, tend to have that masculine and feminine dichotomy, dichotomy, excuse me, like being brave, right? You, you want to tell somebody to be brave, you tell them to grow a pair, right? And so that's like that positive connotation of, of having braveness, you know, somehow has testicles thrown in there. And so, whereas, you know, if you're thinking about, um, you know, give me, you guys can give me, see, here I am saying you guys, you ladies can give me an <laughs> example of, you know, something being more feminine, you know, it's like, it, oh, run like a girl, right? Or you hit like a girl, and that is, you know, that assigns that weakness to femininity. And, you know, I think like societally, not even just within our field, there's, we have, we have so much to reckon with um, in looking at even just the assignment of nomenclature to different traits. And so, you know, it's like tomboy, to a, a girl that's a tomboy. And I always describe, and, and I still do sometimes, I'll be like, oh, okay, you know, sometimes I'm a tomboy or I grew up a tomboy. And, and, but we have to think about what those words do to children who are hearing words like that, you know, that, oh, well, you can't, you can't be into sports and you can't, you know, like to skin your knees and play in the dirt and, and still be a girl. Right. And so there's, it, there's so much power there and, um, you know, and it's just, it, it really is a lot to think about. Um, and it's so deeply ingrained in, in us societally and, and even in me personally that I slip all the time and I'd say, Hey guys, you know, and I'm talking to girls and, um, and I use different terms that I'm just used to using, but it's definitely making me think more about it. I know I've had actually really cute moments in the resident room where, um, the, so, I mean, the guys know that I'm, you know, have a podcast, the feminists of the residency, all those sorts of things. And so now they're, they're starting to recognize it a little bit. And so, you know, how sometimes you refer to doctors and they'll say, oh, these, this is how, you know, the guys, and then they'll go and gals. And I'm like, you. <laughs> you know, and so it's nice how kind of when we are vocal, you know, and when we kind of call things out, um, and what's nice is just like, I'm, I'm at a great program where, you know, we're like a family. And so you can kind of like call them out on it sometimes and they respond. And it's never this moment of like, oh, she's so sensitive. Like, da, 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 da. it really is just like, like, all right, Alana. And then they make the change, you know? So yeah. I think that there is hope. Um, and I think that, you know, there, as long as we continue to be 
present, be vocal about these things. I, I, I do have hope that we can sort of slowly, slowly, slowly over the decades, at least make some sort of a change. Alana, can you share with our listeners, uh, who's your chief at your program? Or your chair, sorry, chair. I don't My like chair chief, is Dr. It. Lisa Latanza, um, who's one of the few female chairs in the country, and she's just been absolutely slaying it. Um, and what was amazing is I felt so horrible for her because, you know, certainly when she came on to our, you know, took the position, our department needed some work, right, in terms of all the things that she had planned to do, and then COVID happened. And so she actually went and took like a leadership position in the hospital to make sure that we always had enough PPE for the entire hospital. So I think that was just a real testament to, you know, no matter what got thrown at her, she's like, COVID pandemic? Sure, I'll take up the leadership position for my hospital, you know? So it was, it really was inspiring for us. I would yeah, love, I think, sorry, please go. Sorry. Um, I mean, I just, I think that the down, the, it starts at the top and you are having the really unique experience. There are three residency programs in the country who have your experience of having a strong woman leading. Right. And I think that we see already how it feels to come up in that program. Um, so just shout out to Lisa Latanza, um, a superwoman. No, Go ahead, Nancy, really sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things I was thinking about in the context of um, Speak Up Ortho is the, you know, there are definitely stories of women who have been denied a fair experience and a fair shot at their education because of bias. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because there can also sometimes be instances in which, um, they, you know, your attending or your resident kind of goes easy on you because they don't want to be a jerk, right? Or they, they think that you need to be gone easy on. And, and I think that's another form of, you know, oftentimes to get conscious or unconscious bias um, in which you're denied the rigor of your training and your education because of being a woman. And so, you know, I have an interesting story to share on that. And, and like, I think, I think back, it was very memorable. I'm sure this person doesn't even remember who I am. Um, I was rotating as a fourth year student in a program. This was a junior resident who was male. And um, I had a really I actually had a really good month uh, there and learned a lot, saw a lot. Um, and my uh, junior resident who's, who was with me was so nice, like the nicest person. Um, I had no issues and I had worked with a great chief and, you know, got in there, got to operate. But, you know, I, the junior resident just didn't teach me very much very often and I kind of chalked it up to well this person just hasn't had hasn't had the chance to develop their teaching skills as a resident as part of their responsibilities right um and on my last night there um I will share that on my drive home this was the only time I'd cried uh in medical school mm -hmm. um that night, a new student who was starting a one-month rotation uh had started it was a guy and 
you know, we kind of say our hellos and immediately the resident who was with me the whole month, we're down in the ER looking at the light boxes. This is how long ago this was <laughs> putting up like the actual paper x-rays, not digital. Um, he turns his back to me and turns to the new guy and says, all right, well, let me teach you the basics of how to read an x-ray and just kind of launches into this, you know, very interactive slash didactic um, about the basics of how to approach an x-ray. And I was just thinking, he, we spent a lot of time together and, and he didn't do anything like that with me. And, and I, and I, you know, even back then I was thinking, I, I don't think he was doing that on purpose. I think it was unconscious, you know? And so I drove home and I was so angry because, and I was so, I was so sad. I was so angry um, because there was, it, it felt so powerless. There was nothing I could have done differently to have earned that education. Um, it was an, an immutable piece of me that prevented me from getting that. And that made me just so angry. Um, and so, you know, and while it's not, you know, that's not like some of the actual sexual abuse and harassment that some of our colleagues have gone through. Um, I think I also felt that so deeply because it, it, you know, it became clear to me that there was always going to be that undercurrent there in, in different situations. And then I know I'm like rambling on, but I want to add something to that. I was at, um, I was at an academy uh, session um, and for the listeners, this is a, an orthopedic national Academy meeting. Um, and I was at a session on public speaking and, and, um, being able to give media interviews. And in that, in that class, I had related the story, um, because it was an important story of mine and, um, an older gentleman in the class at the end of me telling the story said, did it ever occur to you that maybe the guy just didn't like you? And that was the reasoning, you know, for why I didn't get an opportunity to get that education for that month. And so it is, yeah, it's just so, it's deeply impactful, I think, when you, when you go through that and then you have that realization that, that your gender is going to impact what you get education-wise in cer some circumstances. I think that the responsibility of receiving these stories is tremendous. And the responsibility of, uh, of honoring the experience, not comparing of this is better, worse, they're all different. Mm -hmm. And I remember Nancy when that happened and we talked about um, the second arrow phenomenon too, which is you get hurt and then you get hurt again as you're retelling and trying to heal. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, the group of women that has come together and is growing every week with Speak Up Ortho, every single one takes this responsibility of receiving these stories and such, it, it's huge. And we all see it and feel it. Um, and the person who did that had no idea that 
I think it's been three years now and that's mm-hmm. still painful oh, yeah. for you. It's that's the fresh. second pain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that it, it it's not enough for the women to find community within ortho as, as amazing as it has been, you know, I mean, this has been so awesome. Like every time I go to a meeting and the women's bathroom line is longer, I really have to pee, but I'm like, Oh, this is so great. There are other women here, (laughs) but you know, it's like, I, I think one of the biggest challenges is to how do you share the stories? How do you change the culture? How do you get buy-in from the individuals who are not um, the target of the bias, you know what? What do you what do you two think is the best way to engage and to encourage active advocacy? So I think um, I think that some of some of these things are done with like malicious intent, mm-hmm. and sometimes these things are done out of ignorance. And I think I'll, I'll share two stories that I have. I was on a rotation and I absolutely like slayed it. Like not a single ball was dropped. I was so proud. I worked so hard. And what I came to learn later on was that the seniors, um, the senior residents who I was working under when they were talking about me and the job that I did you know, they asked like, oh, how did Alana do? And the response was, ah, the female attendings take it easy on the women or, or just like the attendings in general, take it easy on yeah. the women. And you're just like, like that is something that was done just like with malicious intent. It wasn't done out of ignorance. It was meant to say that the work that I had done was just meant nothing because the attendings quote unquote took it easier on me. And so I think that that's kind of one kind of way in which we experience discrimination and those who you know do it, it's yeah, exactly Dr. Wise, it's to put someone down. Whereas the other story that I have, I think is literally the only like workplace microaggression I've ever experienced um, as a gay woman where I was in a procedure and there was nineties music playing and you know ricky martin came on and i was like oh this is great love ricky martin and you know people are talking about ricky martin and someone was like oh i had no idea he was gay and the scrub tech who had been handing me instruments the entire day was like oh he's as crooked as they come and i remember thinking about that and i'm like first of all the wrong derogatory term was utilized in this situation like it's not crooked. Crooked is someone who's deceptive or has done something illegal. What he had meant to say was that he is as bent as they come. So that was point number one. Point number two was that this, and he was a nice guy, but he literally had no idea that the surgeon he was handing instruments to was, you know, bent just like Ricky Martin, right? And I think it was kind of this thing where like you're literally in the middle of a case and you're operating and you just kind of like take a step back and you're just like "Ooh, am I a lesser human being right now yeah um but I think that that was something that was made completely out of ignorance mm-hmm. like he if he had known me who I am if he had met like my amazing wife of course you'd be like 
these people are amazing. Like the A team's awesome, all these sorts of things. But I think, you know, and I think sometimes when those moments where something is said out of ignorance, it's something where it's like, you know what, that mind can be changed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think what's been so hard hearing the stories and reading the stories about the speak up ortho is that so many of them are done with just such a malicious intent. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's kind of what also is so heartbreaking. And I think those are the hearts and those are the minds that are going to be so much more challenging to change Mm -hmm. if they could be changed at all. Right. But my hope is that those people who are kind of making those statements with that just mal intent, that those are kind of in the minority, Mm -hmm. whereas the majority of folks, you know, the more common microaggressions, those are just made out of ignorance. And yes, it does hurt feeling like a lesser human being as you operate. But at the end of the day, you're like, if he just knew me, if he just like met who my wife and met us, like his mind could be changed. And so I think it's kind of for the majority of those ignorant microaggressions, it's this, right. It's talking about it. It's being visible. Like, I think that's kind of the movement forward. And kind of going back to, um, you know, your, your earlier comment about being written up for something, you know, um, I think in those situations where it is, where these actions or these words come from an ignorant place, I think, you know, our, our society has gotten so into like the whole, you know, cancel culture and public shaming. And I think like those are opportunities in which, you know, you pull the person aside, kind of like praise in public, you know, know, discipline in private or whatever. And I think that's a situation where you, where you say, you know, Hey, you need to know that these words matter and that it affected me because, you know, I happen to be gay or whatever. Um, I think that, you know, and that's, that's a little bit different than, than somebody who is, saying or doing something out of pure maliciousness. And, you know, and I I think like one of the things with Speak Up Ortho is that, you know, we have so many stories that are like very negative and shocking. Um, It was really important to me to also kind of highlight instances in which um, positive action was taken and not just by the, the person who was receiving the bias or the harassment, but by the bystander, you know, and just kind of advocating for bystander intervention, whether it be for women within orthopedics or whether it be with, you know, what we're seeing on the news now, the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans, you know, mid pandemic, it's like, how do you get, um, how do you get bystanders to um, speak up and take action when they see things that are not okay? And I think that's that's a big thing. I will, as an aside, mention that when you said that he said that uh, Ricky Martin was crooked, and I was like, he he's a criminal. It's- <laughs> I was very confused when I know. he said that. I know, and I was just like, sir, if you're gonna if you're gonna make the derogatory comment, like use the right word. <laughs> I was like, what did he embezzle or what? <laughs> exactly. 
the one thing that comes up for me as I listen to your beautiful positivity from both of you is I I think in recent months maybe a year or two the tempered part of my radicalism is is on the decline at least Mm -hmm. right now um, because I when I was a resident, when I was a younger attending, when I was in my pleasing phase, getting asked to be on this board or this, lead this or do that and get, you know, up, up, up. I thought, oh, they're getting to know me. And look, it's just a matter of they know who I am and that I'm doing good work. And then there's a point at which the good work becomes differently received. And so the positivity that I was able to carry and still I'm holding on for, and it's why I surround myself with people like you guys. Um, but it's hard to hold on to as I feel like the glass ceiling is now like bumping down on me. Um, and if it is for me, how that's gonna happen for everybody coming up behind me, and also the times when the tempered part are appropriate and not appropriate. Yeah, tempered radicalism if somebody needs education. Mm-hmm. But we're talking hate crimes. We're talking, yep. um, you know, racism. We're talking homophobia. We're talking sexism. The tempered part is hard for me to hold on to. And so yep. I think that's why you mentioned the community is not enough, but it's so absolutely crucial to me right now because you guys are my tempered aspect because I am really wanting to go and speak without filter and that's Mm. probably not the best approach either. Well you know I think maybe the tempered part is is best directed towards those who have potential for being allies and advocates, whereas, you know, drop that big Thor hammer on the people who just unabashedly, you know, maliciously want to, you know, want to harass or break the rules or, you know, whatever it is like, drop that hammer, you know? And I, I, I think that it, you know, I think that there are different times for different approaches and different people um, that you use different approaches on. I will say, you know, as I know we're going to be wrapping up soon, I wish the listeners could see my head because I look like a Muppet. Like I've been (laughs) nodding so vigorously. Um, And it just, to me, this space is, is so precious to be able to share these thoughts with you women today. I will well, say I, something that, oh, yeah. sorry, go ahead, Dr. Chipley. No, please. Um, I had the good fortune of being able to interview um, Dr. Christy Weber, um, which is a podcast that will be coming out in a month or two, um, and kind of about her experience as our first female president of the Academy. And, you know, we talk about glass ceiling like that, like glass was on the floor, ladies, at that time. And it was great that she had gotten to that moment. And I think one of the things that I asked her was, you know, the academy and orthopedic surgery has is just this huge steamship that has been on this one path for decades. And the way that the academy has been done, the way that orthopedic surgery in general has been done has just been this one path. 
and we're doing something simply because of the fact that it's how we've done it before. And so I kind of asked her like, how do you, how do you even steer that thing? Like, how do you even like change the trajectory of that thing? And it was interesting to hear her thoughts about it. And she basically talked about the fact that you go in with goals and you also make sure that, you know, you have something that others can do as well when they come up behind you. You know, like I had no idea that there's this like five-year track where like she of course has her, you know, baby projects that she wants to do, but it really is something where when she leaves the position of president and becomes past president, there is still someone who's able to carry on, you know, the goals and things that she wanted to do. Um, And so I think that, like, I think that gives me hope um, in the sense that, you know, there is always, you know, there's a lot wrong with orthopedic surgery. Like, let's be real. I don't think that any of us would have podcasts if like everything was like rainbows and sunshine in the field of orthopedic surgery. But I think that, you know, our job is to, you know, we've all climbed these like terrible wooden ladders and our job is to not pull up the ladder. Our job is not to put the same, you know, terrible wooden ladder back. Our job is to like go to Home Depot, get the steel ladders and throw five of them down there. And I think like that's kind of something that I really get so hopeful when I, um, you know, am with other women and I, you know, watch kind of the speak up ortho stories. And it just really is just like, this needs to be better. We, we have to make this better for those who come behind us. I will, I will share your um, admiration of Christy. She is a dear friend and um, I will, uh, I will um, share that I've had that awesome experience of vicariously living a lot that she's done mm-hmm. and um, such gratitude for her. And she often says it's, and I don't want to misquote you, Christy, but if she is, she's the first, but she cannot be the last. And I will throw out there that we now have four people behind her. Yeah, we just had the fourth who's not a woman. So it's time, right? It's time. And the way the Academy works, she is, she is the chair of the nominating committee this year. And this is a time for us to keep our fingers and toes crossed. Right. She's not, that she's followed. Well, I know that we could probably go on for like three hours easily without blinking an eye, but um, we will wrap this up and I would love to finish with each of us giving their best piece of advice to a woman who wants to follow in their footsteps. Alana, what do you think? Um, I think that what I would tell them is that there are going to be barriers. Like I I wouldn't ever want them to think that this is an easy path. And I would want them to understand that, you know, listen to yourself and remember why you went into medicine in the first place. And, you know, I remember there are certain like patient interactions that I have that give me so much joy because there are those reminders that they're like, I went into medicine to like care for people and take care of people. Um, And there are going to be so many things that will be said to you and you're going to be at the point of exhaustion. 
Um, but I think what I would say is that, you know, you are so enough and you are more than enough and you have everything that is needed to do this. And you are going to make such a bright spot and just put such an amazing mark on the field. And I think I would just want them to keep going. That's what I would say. Love it. Love it. Jen. Um, what I am going to say, and I'm going to kind of say it to my younger self, um, maybe, uh, there is a hive. You will be in this hive with some amazing other unicorns. And that doesn't mean it's not going to be tough when you leave the hive and do your work. Um, it, but the more that you're out there doing your work, being a good doctor and doing what's right, the more people that get to see you, you can't be what you can't see. And um, that just existing and doing a good job uh, and loving what you do and, and holding on to that passion um, is the most fulfilling. And I, I think I would echo what both of you said, but maybe what I will add is that, um, and you mentioned a hive, I think I can't underscore the importance of finding community. And even though before I said that that's not enough, it is still one must. It's a must have. Uh, to be able to find those that are like-minded and that you can feel like you can not only run cases by, but also just, you know, sometimes you have a bad day. You got to gripe about everything that went wrong and to have those ears and those minds to hear you and make sure you know that you're heard. And even just someone saying, I'm sorry, and I've been there and go have a glass of red wine because <laughs> sometimes you just need to. And so I can't underscore the importance of community. Well, this has been amazing. And maybe we'll have to do a part two and part three in the future and have the I three of us that. on again. <laughs> Absolutely. Such a pleasure, ladies. Yeah, All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the She Can Fix It podcast featuring the Speak Up Ortho movement with Dr. Nancy Yen Shipley and Dr. Jennifer Weiss. You can look up the stories of the Speak Up Ortho movement on Twitter as well as Facebook. I want to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer Andrea Munger without whom this podcast would not be possible. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.